0: Chapter twenty one of Mr. Sponge's sporting tour by Robert Smith Surtees. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty one a country dinner-party. Well, what sport? asked Jawleyford as he encountered his exceedingly dirty friend crossing the entrance-hall to his bedroom on his return from his day. "'or rather his non-day with the flat-hat hunt. "'Why, not much. "'That's to say, nothing particular. "'I mean, I've not had any,' blurted Sponge. "'But you've had a run,' observed Jawleyford, "'pointing to his boots and breeches, "'stained with the variation of each soil. "'Ah, I got most of that going to cover,' replied Sponge. "'Country's awfully deep.' roads abominably dirty adding i wish i'd taken your advice and stayed at home i wish you had replied jawleyford you'd have had a most excellent rabbit pie for luncheon however get changed and we will hear all about it after so saying jawleyford waved an adieu and sponge stamped away in his dirty water-logged boots i'm afraid you are very wet mr sponge observed Amelia in the sweetest tone with the most loving smile possible as our friend with three steps at a time bounded upstairs and nearly butted her on the landing as she was on the point of coming down I am that exclaimed Sponge delighted at the greeting I am that repeated he slapping his much-stained cords dirty too added he looking down at his nether man hadn't you better get changed as quick as possible asked amelia still keeping her position before him oh all in good time replied sponge all in good time the sight of you warms me more than a fire would do adding i declare you look quite bewitching after all the roughings and tumblings about out of doors oh you've not had a fall have you exclaimed amelia looking at the picture of despair you've not had a fall have you do send for the doctor and be bled." Just then a door along the passage to the left opened, and Amelia, knowing pretty well who it was, smiled and tripped away, leaving Sponge to be bled or not as he thought proper. Our hero then made for his bedroom, where, having sucked off his adhesive boots and divested himself of the rest of his hunting attire, he wrapped himself up in his grey flannel dressing-gown, and prepared for parboiling his legs and feet, amid agreeable anticipations arising out of the recent interview, and occasional references to his old friend Mog, whenever he did not see his way on the matrimonial road as clearly as he could wish. "'She'll have me, that's certain,' observed he. "'Curse the water! How hot it is!' exclaimed he catching his foot up out of the bath into which he had incautiously plunged it without ascertaining the temperature of the water he then sluiced it with cold and next had to add a little more hot at last he got it to his mind and lighting a cigar prepared for uninterrupted enjoyment god said he she is by no means a bad-looking gal. whiff devilish good-looking gal. Good head and neck, and carries it well, too. Pfft. Capital I. Whiff! Bright and clear. Pfft. No cataracts there. Pfft. She's all good together. Whiff! Pfft. Whiff! Nice size, too, continued he. And well set up. Whiff! Whiff. Straight as a dairy maid, Pff. plenty of substance, grand thing's substance. Pff. Hate a weedy woman, fifteen two and a half, that's to say five feet fours. Plenty of height for a woman. Pff. Height of a woman has nothing to do with her size. Whiff, wish she hadn't run off would like to have had a little more talk with her whiff phew. women never look so well as when one comes in wet and dirty from hunting phew. he then sank silently back in the easy-chair and whiffed and puffed all sorts of fantastic clouds and columns and corkscrews at his leisure the cigar being finished, and the water in the foot-bath beginning to get cool, he emptied the remainder of the hot into it, and, lighting a fresh cigar, began speculating on how the match was to be accomplished. The lady was safe, that was clear. He had nothing to do but pop. That he would do in the evening, or in the morning, or any time. A man living in the house with a girl need never be in want of an opportunity that preliminary over and the usual answer ask papa obtained then came the question how was the old boy to be managed for men with marriageable daughters are to all intents and purposes old boys be their ages what they may he became lost in reflection he sat with his eyes fixed on the jawleyford portrait above the mantelpiece wondering whether he was the amiable liberal hearty disinterested sort of man he appeared to be indifferent about money and only wanting unexceptionable young men for his daughters or if he was a worldly-minded man like some he had met who after having given him every possible encouragement sent him to the right about like a servant so sponge smoked and thought and thought and smoked till the water in the footpath again getting cold and the shades of night drawing on he at last started up like a man determined to awake himself, and, poking a match into the fire, lighted the candles on the toilet-table, and proceeded to adorn himself. Having again got himself into the killing-tights and buckled pumps, with a fine flower-fronted shirt, ere he embarked on the delicacies and difficulties of the starcher, he stirred the little pittance of a fire and, folding himself in his dressing-gown, endeavoured to prepare his mind for the calm consideration of all the minute bearings of the question by a little more mog. In idea he transferred himself to London, now fancying himself standing at the end of the Burlington Arcade, hailing a Fulham, or Turnham Green, bus, now wrangling with a conductor for charging him sixpence, when there was a pennant flapping at his nose with the words, All the way, threepence, upon it, now folding the wooden doors of a handsome cab in Oxford Street, calculating the extreme distance he could go for an eightpenny fare, until at last he fell into a downright vacant sort of reading, without rhyme or reason, just as one sometimes takes a read of a directory or a dictionary. Conduit Street, George Street, to or from the adelphi terrace astley's amphitheatre baker street king street bryanston square any part covent garden theatre foundling hospital hatton garden and so on till the thunder of the gong aroused him to a recollection of his duties he then up and at his neckcloth ah oh well said he reverting to his lady-love as he eyed himself intently in the glass while performing the critical operation. "'I'll just sound the old gentleman after dinner. One can do that sort of thing better over one's wine, perhaps, than at any other time. Looks less formal, too,' added he, giving the cravat a knowing crease at the side. "'And if it doesn't seem to take, one can just pass it off, as if it was done for somebody else. Some young gentleman at Laverick Wells, for instance.' So saying, he on with his white waistcoat, and crowned the conquering suit with a blue coat and metal buttons. Returning his mog to his dressing-gown pocket, he blew out the candles and groped his way downstairs in the dark. In passing the dining-room he looked in, to see if there were any champagne-glasses set, we believe, when he saw that he should not have an opportunity of sounding his intended papa-in-law after dinner, for he found the table laid for twelve— and a great display of plate, linen, and china. He then swaggered on to the drawing-room, which was in a blaze of light. The lively Emily had stolen a march on her sister, and had just entered, attired in a fine new, pale yellow silk dress, with a point-lace berth and other adornments. High words had ensued between the sisters as to the meanness of Amelia in trying to take her bow from her especially after the airs Amelia had given herself respecting Sponge, and a minute observer might have seen the slight tinge of red on Emily's eyelids, denoting the usual issue of such scenes. The result was that each determined to do the best she could for herself, and free trade being proclaimed, Emily proceeded to dress with all expedition, calculating that, as Mr. Sponge had come in wet, he would very likely dress at once and appear in the drawing-room in good time nor was she out in her reckoning for she had hardly enjoyed an approving glance in the mirror ere our hero came swaggering in twitching his arms as if he hadn't got his wristbands adjusted and working his legs as if they didn't belong to him ah my dear miss emily exclaimed he advancing gaily towards her with extended hand which she took with all the pleasure in the world adding and how have you been oh pretty well thank you replied she looking as though she would have said as well as i can be without you sponge though a consummate judge of a horse and all the minutiae connected with them was still rather green in the matter of woman and having settled in his own mind that amelia should be his choice he concluded that Emily knew all about it, and was working on her sister's account, instead of doing the agreeable for herself. And there it is where elder sisters have such an advantage over the younger ones. They are always shown or contrived to show themselves first, and if a man once makes up his mind that the elder one will do, there is an end of the matter." and it is neither a deeper shade or two of blue nor a brighter tinge of brown nor a little smaller foot nor a more elegant waist that will make him change for a younger sister the younger ones immediately become sisters in the men's minds and retire or are retired from the field scratched as sponge would say Amelia, however was not going to give emily a chance having dressed with all the expedition compatible with an attractive toilet, a lavender-coloured satin with broad black lace flounces, with some heavy jewellery on her well-turned arms, she came sidling in so gently as almost to catch Emily in the act of playing the agreeable. Turning the sidle into a stately sail, with a haughty sort of sneer and toss of the head to her sister as much as to say, "'What are you doing with my man?' a sneer that suddenly changed into a sweet smile as her eye encountered sponges she just motioned him off to a sofa where she commenced a sotto voce conversation in the engaged couple style the plot then began to thicken first came jawleyford in a terrible stew well this is too bad exclaimed he stamping and flourishing a scented note with a crest and initials at the top. "'This is too bad,' repeated he. "'People accepting invitations, and then crying off at the last moment.' "'Who is it can't come, papa? "'The foozles?' asked Emily. "'No, foozles be hanged,' sneered Jawleyford. "'They always come. "'The Blossom Noses,' replied he, with an emphasis. "'The Blossom Noses!' exclaimed both girls, clasping their hands and looking up at the ceiling. "'What, all of them?' asked emily all of them rejoined jawleyford why that's four observed emily to be sure it is replied jawleyford five if you count them by appetites for old blossom always eats and drinks as much as two people what excuse do they give asked amelia carriage horse suddenly taken ill replied jawleyford as if that's any excuse when there are post-horses within half a dozen miles he wouldn't have stopped hunting for want of a horse i dare say observed amelia i dare say it's all a lie observed jawleyford adding however the invitation shall go for a dinner all the same the denunciation was interrupted by the appearance of spigot who came looming up the spacious drawing-room in the full magnificence of black shorts silk stockings and buckled pumps followed by a sheepish-looking straight-haired red apple-faced young gentleman whom he announced as mr robert fusel robert was the hope of the house of fusel and it was fortunate his parents were satisfied with him for few other people were he was a young gentleman who shook hands with everybody assented to anything that anybody said and in answering a question wherein indeed his conversation chiefly consisted he always followed the words of the interrogation as much as he could for instance "'Well, Robert, have you been at Dulverton to-day?' "'Answer, no, I've not been at Dulverton to-day.' "'Question. Are you going to Dulverton to-morrow?' "'Answer, no, I'm not going to Dulverton to-morrow.' Having shaken hands with the party all round, and turned to the fire to warm his red fists, Jawleyford, having stood at attention for such time as he thought Mrs. Foozle would be occupied before the glass in his study arranging her headgear and seeing no symptoms of any further announcement at last asked foozle if his papa and mamma were not coming no my papa and mamma are not coming replied he are you sure asked jawleyford in a tone of excitement quite sure replied foozle in the most matter-of-course voice the deuce exclaimed jawleyford stamping his foot upon the soft rug adding it never rains but it pours have you a note or anything asked mrs jawleyford who had followed robert foozle into the room yes i have a note replied he diving into the inner pocket of his coat and producing one the note was a letter a letter from mrs foozle to mrs jawleyford three sides and crossed and seeing the magnitude thereof mrs jawleyford quietly put it into her reticule observing that she hoped mr and mrs foozle were well yes they are well replied robert notwithstanding he had express orders to say that his papa had the toothache and his mamma the earache. Jawleyford then gave a furious ring at the bell for dinner, and in due course of time the party of six proceeded to a table for twelve. Sponge pawned Mrs. Jawleyford off upon Robert Fusel, which gave Sponge the right to the fair Amelia, who walked off on his arm with a toss of her head at Emily as though she thought him the finest, sprightliest man under the sun. Emily followed, and Jawleyford came sulking in alone, sore put out at the failure of what he meant for the grand entertainment. Lights blazed in profusion, lamps more accustomed had now become better behaved, and the whole strength of the plate was called in requisition, sadly puzzling the unfortunate cook to find something to put upon the dishes. She, however, was a real magnanimous-minded woman, who would undertake to cook her Lord Mayor's feast—soups, sweets, joints, entrees, and all. Jawleyford was nearly silent during the dinner. Indeed, he was too far off for conversation, had there been any for him to join in, which was not the case, for Amelia and Sponge kept up a hum of words, while Emily worked Robert Fusel with question and answer such as, "'Were your sisters out to-day?' "'Yes, my sisters were out to-day.' "'Are your sisters going to the Christmas ball?' "'Yes, my sisters are going to the Christmas ball,' etc., etc. Still, nearly daft as Robert was, he was generally asked where there was anything going on, and more than one young lady—but we will not tell about that, as he has nothing to do with our story. By the time the ladies took their departure— Mr. Jawleyford had somewhat recovered from the annoyance of his disappointment, and as they retired he rang the bell, and desired Spigot to set the horseshoe table, and bring a bottle of the green seal, being the colour affixed on the bottles of a four-dozen hamper of port, curious old port at forty-eight shillings, that had arrived from Wintle & Co. by rail, good train of course, that morning. "'There!' exclaimed Jawleyford. As spigot placed the richly cut decanter on the horseshoe table there repeated he drawing the green curtain as if to shade it from the fire but in reality to hide the dullness the recent shaking had given it that wine said he is a quarter of a century in bottle at the very least indeed observed sponge time it was drunk a quarter of a century gaped robert Fusel quarter of a century if it's a day replied jawleyford smacking his lips as he set down his glass after imbibing the precious beverage very fine observed sponge adding as he sipped off his glass it's odd to find such old wine so full-bodied well now tell us all about your day's proceedings said jawleyford thinking it advisable to change the conversation at once what sport had you with my lord oh why i really can't tell you much drawled sponge with an air of bewilderment strange country strange faces nobody i knew And, ah true replied jawleyford true it occurred to me after you were gone that perhaps you might not know anyone. ours you see is rather an out-of-the-way country few of our people go to town or indeed anywhere else they are all tarry-at-home birds "'but they'd receive you with great politeness, I'm sure. "'If they knew you came from here, at least,' added he. "'Sponge was silent, and took a great gulp of the dull wintle, "'to save himself from answering. "'Was my Lord Scamperdale out?' asked Jawleyford, "'seeing he was not going to get a reply. "'Why, I can really hardly tell you that,' replied Sponge there were two men out either of whom might be him at least they both seemed to take the lead and and he was going to say blow up the people but he thought he might as well keep that to himself stout hell-looking men dressed much alike with great broad tortoiseshell rimmed spectacles on asked jawleyford just so replied sponge ah you are right then rejoined jawleyford it would be my lord and who was the other inquired our friend oh that jack spraggon replied jawleyford curling up his nose as if he was going to be sick one of the most odious wretches under the sun i really don't know any man that i have so great a dislike to so utter a contempt for as that jack as they call him uh, what is he asked sponge oh just a hanger-on of his lordships the creature has nothing nothing whatever he lives on my lord eats his venison drinks his claret rides his horses bullies those his lordship doesn't like to tackle with and makes himself generally useful he seems a man of that sort observed sponge as he thought over the compliment he had received well who else had you out then asked jawleyford was tom washball there no replied sponge "'He wasn't out, I know.' "'Ah, oh, that's unfortunate,' observed Jawleyford, helping himself and passing the bottle. "'Tom's a capital fellow, perfect gentleman, great friend of mine. If he'd been out, you'd have had nothing to do but mention my name, and he'd have put you all right in a minute. Who else was there, then?' continued he. "'There was a tall man in black, on a good-looking young brown horse, rather rash at his fences, but a fine style of goer.' What? exclaimed Jawleyford. Man in drab cords and jack boots with the brim of his hat rather turning upwards. Just so, replied Sponge. And a double ribbon for a hat string. That's Master Blossom Nose, observed Jawleyford, scarcely able to contain his indignation. That's Master Blossom Nose, repeated he, taking a back hand at the port in the excitement of the moment more to his credit if he were to stay at home and attend to his parish added jawleyford meaning it would have been more to his credit if he had fulfilled his engagement to him that evening instead of going out hunting in the morning the two then sat silent for a time sponge seeing where the sore place was and robert foozle as usual seeing nothing ah oh well observed jawleyford at length breaking silence it was unfortunate you went this morning i did my best to prevent you told you what a long way it was and so on however never mind we will put all right to-morrow his lordship i'm sure will be most happy to see you so help yourself continued he passing the wintle and we will drink his health and success to fox-hunting sponge filled a bumper and drank his lordship's health with the accompaniment as desired and turning to robert foozle who was doing likewise said are you fond of hunting yes i'm fond of hunting replied foozle but you don't hunt you know robert observed jawleyford no i don't hunt replied robert the green seal being demolished jawleyford ordered a bottle of the other attributing the slight discoloration which he did not discover until they had nearly finished the bottle to the change of atmosphere in the outer cellar sponge tackled vigorously with the newcomer which was better than the first and robert fusel drinking as he spoke by pattern kept filling away much to jawleyford's dissatisfaction who was compelled to order a third during the progress of its demolition the host's tongue became considerably loosened he talked of hunting and the charms of the chase of the good fellowship it produced, and expatiated on the advantages it was of to the country in a national point of view, promoting as it did a spirit of manly enterprise, and encouraging our unrivalled breeds of horses, both of which he looked upon as national objects, well worthy the attention of enlightened men like himself. Jawleyford was a great patron of the chase, and his keeper, Watson, always had a bag-fox ready to turn down when my lord's hounds met there, jawleyford's covers were never known to be drawn blank though they had been shot in the day before they always held a fox the next if a fox was wanted sponge being quite at home on the subjects of horses and hunting lauded all his papa-in-law's observations up to the skies occasionally considering whether it would be advisable to sell him a horse and thinking if he did whether he should let him have one of the three he had down or should get old Buckram to buy some quiet screw that would stand a little work and yield him sponge a little profit, and yet not demolish the great patron of English sports. The more Jawleyford drank the more energetic he became, and the greater pleasure he anticipated from the meat of the morrow. He docked the Lord and spoke of Scamperdale as an excellent fellow, a real good hearty honest Englishman, a man that "'The more you knew, the more you liked,' all of which was very encouraging to Sponge. Spigot at length appeared to read the Tea and Coffee Riot Act, when Jawleyford determined not to be done out of another bottle, pointing to the nearly emptied decanter, said to Robert Foozle, "'I suppose you'll not take any more wine?' To which Robert replied, "'No, I'll not take any more wine.' Whereupon pushing out his chair and throwing away his napkin, Jawleyford arose and led the way to the drawing-room. "'followed by sponge and this entertaining young gentleman. "'A round game followed tea, "'which in its turn was succeeded by a massive silver tray, "'chiefly decorated with cold water and tumblers, "'and as the various independent clocks in the drawing-room "'began chiming and striking eleven, "'Mr. Jollyford thought he would try to get rid of Foozle "'by asking him if he hadn't better stay all night. "'Yes, I think I'd better stay all night.' replied foozle but won't they be expecting you at home robert asked jawleyford not feeling disposed to be caught in his own trap yes they'll be expecting me at home replied foozle then perhaps you had better not alarm them by staying no perhaps i'd better not alarm them by staying repeated foozle whereupon they all rose and wishing him a very good night jawleyford handed him over to spigot who transferred him to one footman, who passed him to another, to button into his leather-headed chandridon. After talking Robert over, and expatiating on the misfortune it would be to have such a boy, Jawleyford rang the bell for the banquet of water to be taken away, and ordering breakfast half an hour earlier than usual, our friends went to bed. End of chapter 21